0: This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory.
1: Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert,
2: Commissioner Tim Eccles. And thank you, Scott Slade. It is always a great day to be saving energy and especially be saving money and learning about technology, living a more sustainable lifestyle. Money, money, money. That's right, John. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm on the Public Service Commission, and more importantly, no, just teasing, I'm your host of the show. Um, and, John, you're a former state representative, and you long-time live... longtime
3: time business owner in the energy space, too. Yeah, you
2: live yeah. over there by Plant McDonough. I uh, do. I've been a victim Atlanta.
3: of the coal plant until it was torn down. Thank yeah. you very much.
2: Yeah. Well, it actually wasn't torn down. It was kind of fuel-switched over to natural gas. Oh, it was. So. Uh,
3: it was blown up.
2: Yeah. Now, we did take the stack down Yeah, you took the stack down. yeah yeah so that's a that's a that's a good thing now we're going to spend a whole bunch of money moving all that coal ash over to another separate pond but that's a topic for another day oh okay yeah okay yeah and hopefully one day we sell it all you know into the construction industry hey, but again i like it yeah <laughs> okay I'm talking well in the studio with us today man we always have a lot of brain power in here don't we Great time. We, we got some we got some huge brains huge. in the studio frequent guest andrew saunders sustainability officer for uh, Athens-Clark, forestry major, right, from way back. Yes, sir. Yeah, you know a forestry lot about trees. And wildlife
4: biology. Yeah.
2: You know, my family, they joke, you know, because the only tree I recognize is a maple. Of course, I recognize a pine yeah. and an oak, but they joke that uh, to Dad, everything's a maple tree because, you know, when somebody asks me, I'll say, oh, I, think a, I think it's a maple, <laughs> you know. So I don't know that much about. Uh, I, I avoided South Campus when I was here. I really try to stay north of the bridge, right, so I have a... I have an undergrad in English, so I was in Park Hall, you know, learning to write Shakespeare, creative. Th- I even had a folklore class. I mean, how good is that, right? And then, you know, a master's in at Grady and PR, and then another master's in nonprofit. So I, you I just really start
3: sound like a Democrat.
2: I, I tried to avoid. No, 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 no. Uh,
3: I tried to. No. Uh,
2: I tried to avoid uh, South Campus. Then you got into the sustainability work, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, and so you're a sustainability officer for Athens Clark. Uh, the other two brains in the studio today Scott Pippen. hey Scott uh, yeah Washington and Lee yes sir yeah generals now, so how did how did that
5: happen I mean you were a
2: high school senior you evaluated colleges why Washington and Lee uh
5: the time I thought I wanted to get far away from home and yeah uh, that was uh was a great place to go and still in the south so. yeah yeah good and then wow you, you couldn't get enough of uh you know of
2: uh, uh of Education, so you came over to UGA, got a master's in environmental planning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and I said I missed Georgia and had to come back, so. Yeah, and then a law degree. Then a law degree. You know, yeah. to boot. So yeah. uh, so you've got that degree. And Shawna Jones, uh, Shauna, you went to, uh, I hate to say it, but you went to Auburn. War Eagle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Please, folks, don't <laughs> turn your radio off. Don't turn your radio please. off too much. And, I don't know, she, she got an MA in English from the University of Virginia.
0: Indeed. Right. Didn't y'all just win a basketball game or something? Uh, or? They might have beat my team, yeah.
2: Yeah, that was a hard was a loss. While back. Yeah, well, it's great having both of you uh, in the studio. Wait a second, you also went to the University of Maryland.
0: Yes, yeah. I got my law degree there. And
2: got a law degree there. So, I, you know, I'm telling you folks, you're going to learn a lot in today's show. We're going to be talking especially about sustainability and, and about how research institutions like the University of Georgia can help Folks uh, from far away, from Athens, uh, counties all over, cities from all over our state. Learn the right way to do it. Learn the best practices. And you know, if you if you're out there and you're listening, and you've had some graduate, you know, education, you probably did have to study some things about theories, and you did have to, you know, read the literature, you know, about a particular topic. And these things, these things, really help us to be able to find out tried and true methodology for making things better so both of you you know have have this extensive education did you you know did did you take away a lot from these degrees on being able to you know to how you evaluate things now and the way that you approach problem solving
0: Yes, very much so. I think that one, I have to give a shout out to English majors. I don't know how you become a thinker and writer unless you study the written word. And so that was a good foundation for me for law school. There's no better training than than a legal legal education. And at the University of Georgia now, I have a privilege of working with law students um, who are very interested in the sustainability field and helping them think and evaluate and solve problems. Yeah.
5: How about about you, Scott? Well, um, so after law school, I actually spent several years in private practice representing local governments and working with them in different capacities. And it was from that experience that I decided I wanted to go and learn more about planning and, and how I could work with local governments and, and be more proactive in creating a vision and developing best practices for how they can achieve those visions rather than being on the back end and trying to um, protect them from bad decisions that have already been made. So, yeah,
2: be- right. because bad decisions, you know, usually result in lawsuits and action and, and wow, uh, we're going to have to pay this money, and Mm -hmm. it winds up wasting a lot of taxpayer money, doesn't it? Exactly.
5: It's a lot lot cheaper to do it right the first time.
2: Yeah. So tell me about some of the things you guys are working on at the University of Georgia.
0: So both Scott and I work at the Carl Vinson Institute of Government, which is um, a 90-year-old-plus institution at the university in public service and outreach. And we have the great privilege of, of extending the knowledge generated at the university and within PSO to assist state and local government and help them make more informed decisions. So that's what we do.
3: Newly elected officials go to training there at the Carl Vinson Institute. You know, know, I think about uh, my granddad
2: who had an eighth grade education and got elected to Clayton County as a commissioner. Right. My dad, uh, who got elected as a Henry County commissioner. And here now they have basically the steering wheel of county government you know in in their hands working with their colleagues and having to make decisions on spending millions of dollars you know on on projects and really not knowing is this the best way forward I mean you meet a lot of those people don't you
0: we do and one of the I think it's a wonderful it's wonderful that so many of our elected officials come into government with different backgrounds I mean there are farmers they may be pharmacists they could be school teachers you know all kinds of backgrounds and that's very valuable but what makes it difficult is suddenly you're presented with some complicated decisions and you want to know I think the most common thing we hear is what questions should I ask what should I do? I think most folks. How do I save my constituents' money? And that's um, sustainability becomes a really interesting part of that.
2: Yeah, Scott. Uh, you know, as as folks like my granddad and dad get elected, they're, you know, they 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 feel like maybe they have a mandate sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And other times it's just an ambition, just mm-hmm. pure ambition that, you know, they were. You know They were being a good citizen in their community, and their friends at church said, you should run for this office, and they run, and they win. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, they've got the steering wheel of state government or county government or city government in their hand. And so they're coming to you all, or sometimes I find these days that their counties are making them uh, come to you all because they've seen the benefit of that, and then you you all wind up being— the teacher and the advisor, right?
5: Yeah. yeah, and a lot of that is actually figuring out what, they, what that vision they had for their community was when they ran for office and, and got elected, and then helping to connect them to the data and the ideas that can um, on how they move forward and realize those goals. So yeah, we, we're really um, proud of the opportunity to connect the research to those, those visions from the, the local level. Yeah, because you don't know what you don't know, right, Andrew?
4: Yeah, you know, in my tenure working with local government, It's just I don't think it's possible for very many people to come in the job as a general elected official and know everything. You're not going to come in knowing about public safety and development and environmental issues and finance unless you've just kind of been living in a think tank. And so it's helpful to have Carl Vincent be able to kind of orient you to, okay, you don't have to know it. But here's the uh, appropriate way to find out information and make a decision that represents your constituents.
3: That's great.
2: And more and more these days, counties... Cities, they're thinking about solar, John. Yep. Uh, they're they're thinking yep. about energy. They're thinking about, you know, how can I decrease this line item on our on our budget? How can I improve our, you know, our water policy, our wastewater policy? Uh, are, are you seeing this, Shawna, more and more counties, cities asking about energy, environmental related? Uh, issues.
0: Very much so. Um, local governments' estimates are that 10% of their budget are spent on energy, and part of that is going to be wastewater. Just you know, this basic service we take for granted costs money, and folks don't necessarily want to pay for that. They don't, you know, they want to see new parks, they want to see new investment, or they want to see that kind of growth. And we take this infrastructure for granted. So they're very interested in things that like Athens Clark have done to f- figure out ways to save money to generate energy energy for like wastewater or find ways to save money
3: and the beauty of what Andrew's done is he's taken uh, you know he's been given a, a pot of money and then he goes out and saves that amount of money right. and then he's kind of created his own pot of new money and right. so it's, it, it just it kind of goes right on top of one another and then next thing you know you got a whole lot of money that's saved and you didn't put any out right yeah Right.
2: Yeah. And sustainability is like that. Sustainability is like that. Uh, like that. Uh, so it is an opportunity for counties and cities to save money. What are some of the questions you guys are being asked uh, most recently you know, in your roles?
0: I would say we're hearing, particularly from our South Georgia communities and counties, hearing a lot about um, utility-scale solar. They've seen some successes. There's opportunities there. We, you know, rural development is very important to the Carl Vinson Institute and to the state and certainly to the folks who live in those communities. And they see this as potential economic development. Mm
2: -hmm. And, And it really is, John. I remember... You know, as we were teeing up large-scale solar, really in 2012, uh-huh. 2013, on the Public Service Commission, that amount that the power company was going to be able to pay, you know these, you know these developers or these, you know landowners. I mean, it's really a consortium of, of people working
3: together. Was a, was an important,
2: you know, piece to the puzzle. There's right. a big piece. Yeah. It's
6: hard
3: to farm, and it's hard to make money farming. And if you're in South Georgia not too long ago, you had a big hurricane that came through. I mean, there, there, all these all these things just disrupt farmers. On a good year, they make $500 an acre. But on a good year, they can make $1,000 on a lease payment with solar. And it just keeps going forward. And so that's, a, that's an annuity, essentially.
2: Well, let's keep this conversation going um, with these guys as we continue to talk about how Research institutions like the University of Georgia can help counties and cities and ultimately save everybody money across the state. I'm Tim Eccles, and you're listening to Energy Matters. John, one of our sponsors for the show, Roe Insulating Company, is doing a great job in and around Athens being able to do a lot of what we talk about every single week on the show.
3: You get, every time it gets cold, every time it gets hot, it's always, a, it's always that attic that's the problem. And uh, you can attack windows, and that's going to cost you a cold fortune. It is insulation that can solve the problem.
2: Hey, if you want to get this fixed, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854, Roe Insulating Company.
3: Rope. Support for Energy Matters comes from Arnold, Golden, and Gregory. AGG takes a business sensibility approach when advising clients. AGG provides industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief, not if, but how. We appreciate their weekly support of Energy Matters. John studio full of very
2: smart people here today i'm intimidated hey look everybody if you want to get continuing education credits on energy and environment just tune into our show because we are bringing the brain trust for energy and sustainability through the studio of cox media because the brains ain't tim and me let me tell you that right now history major with you english major with me i mean what do you learn from that yeah, Yeah, yeah so we are talking about elected officials because we've got some folks in the studio that deal with them on a regular basis. Scott Pippen uh, and Shauna Jones, uh, working with uh, Carl Vinson Institute here at the University of Georgia, they serve elected officials and they help them employ best practices, especially when it comes to energy and environment, but really much more. Y'all do transportation, you do what else? What other topics uh, do you wind up being an expert on?
0: We have been doing a lot of work recently um, with green infrastructure and thinking about ways communities can save money by doing, you know, practices that that are a little more environmentally friendly, but also cost less. Sometimes, like what?
3: Like green, it hit it hit me when I hear a term like green infrastructure. I want to go. Well, what's that?
5: Well, it's, it's really just the basic idea of how you integrate natural systems into your infrastructure, uh, your built infrastructure. So how do you take advantage of the um, infiltration capacity or the evapotranspiration capacity of tree cover? Whoa, to that's reduce a whole lot of control. words, I like it. I don't want
3: to like it. Okay, okay. All right. So
5: wait a, a second. Tree transfer. cover? You would evaluate tree cover? Yeah, so you you can uh, measure uh, the urban tree canopy hmm. and calculate how much of the stormwater – that falls, um, that would otherwise fall on the pavement and run off into. Because they suck stickles. up a massive yeah. amounts of water. So,
3: like in yep. Savannah,
2: for example, there's exactly. a lot of trees in downtown Savannah. Maybe more than any city that I've ever seen before. Maybe I should get out more. But uh, it, it is is a city like Savannah. Are they able to do something with that water beyond just having it flow into their? uh and uh, you know drainage system and own into the savannah river
5: well it's just the very presence of those trees reduces the amount of storm water they have to manage and that runs off so they can don't have to upgrade their pipes as much because they it's, a, much it's absorbing it it's
3: absorbing it give us an idea how many gallons does a small medium and large tree do
4: thousand gallons a year 50 gallons a day is about what that works out to through the growing season And so that voice Mm
2: -hmm. that you hear wow andrew saunders the sustainability officer and he knew that john we didn't even go over this question he's a forestry guy hey he he knew it tell it tell us some other things we don't know about these trees absorbing this water um and co2 maybe
4: well what i'm going to mention is that anything in in the environmental and sustainability realm We're just going to admit that we rip off nature, right? Like, so the idea that our energy should come from the sun. I'm not sure we've ever seen that happen anywhere except for every plant on the planet or that we should <laughs> capture water and let it go into the soil. Man, he's getting, I've never seen wow. him this wrong. Again, I know. Hold me it, back. A, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Awesome. Keep, keep going. Go ahead. Go so, ahead. Preach it. So Amen. Oh. I mean, the best things about how we manage our, our built environment, we, we mimic what we see in nature because there's eons of refinement that's happened in those processes. And the closer we get to mimicking what happens in nature, the more sustainable we become wait a second
2: are you saying god set this up to run a certain way and that he has the best the best plan for that? Is that what you're saying? I am. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, Amen. John, you know how much <laughs> I like this kind of thing.
3: Oh, I certainly do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, let me turn to you because utility scale solar has become such a huge thing in our state. It's the way that we have structured at the commission and, and with Georgia Power, it's actually putting downward pressure ever so slightly on everyone's rate. I like to refer to it as a, a, as a giant community solar project Because everyone, no matter their socioeconomic status in this state, received benefit from those utility-scale panels. What questions are you being asked about those, and what are you advising counties and cities to do?
5: Well, a lot of the questions that local governments get about it um, from an economic development standpoint is the fact that th- these solar installations don't create jobs. So it makes it hard for them necessarily to see the economic value of them. But nonetheless, they are opportunities to increase the tax base. They do provide revenue for the for the schools, for the county, without having the, the major demands on the resources. They don't require roads. They don't require sewers. They don't require all this other public investment to make them happen. So we try to make it clear how they benefit communities, even if they don't necessarily fit their traditional... Conception of economic can, development. can
2: you give Good me an example point. of how it does improve the tax digest, for example? How, how how does that happen? So the average person listening to our show wondering, well, are, are the owners of the panels, are they paying taxes or what what's
5: happening they, here? They are paying taxes. They're paying taxes both on the land that the panels sit on, which is suddenly was probably pretty marginal farmland to start with and now it's a very productive commercial industrial site um, so that the value of that land has gone Mm -hmm. up so the tax base increased, and they're also paying taxes on the value of those panels as fixtures on that land so really they're two uh, streams of ad valorem tax that are now flowing into the the county coffers that weren't there before. You know we had Taylor County uh, Economic Development folks stand in front of us at the Commission
2: this is back in 2000 I guess 14 when uh, when Taylor County was the, you know, the mega, me, you know, the mega point of all solar in Georgia because of the large arrays that were there. And they said that those arrays that were placed there were essentially going to be about
5: 10% of the, the tax, tax base digest, of the whole county. Uh, for the whole county. Yeah, because there aren't, there aren't 10,000 people in Taylor County, I believe. So, yeah, it's it's a major installation, a major impact on their economy. And that, and f- their and that
3: factory ain't closing. Yeah. Like, that, that's an annuity for them.
4: Yeah, Andrew? And this really kind of builds on cost of community service. So the idea that different forms of land use have different services, you know, industrial properties and solar farms don't need parks. They rarely need police. They have less of a requirement for fire. And so it's kind of enlightening when I go and talk with, especially smaller communities. They always think we want more bodies, yeah. but the math says no. You probably don't, especially if those bodies have children and live mm-hmm. in single-family homes. Those items come at a loss to a city.
3: And like Scott was saying, then you then you're building the infrastructure. You got to build water lines out there. Got to build sewer lines out there. Got to build roads out there. What else do you have to do?
5: You got to deal with truck traffic. You got to deal with deliveries and employees and other traffic. And you got to educate
3: all. Yeah these people yes
2: yes so so a county having this additional tax money now flowing in might be able to do what with it to improve the life of their citizens
5: well uh, the main thing that they seem to talk about is the value it is to the schools that it's a it's a revenue source and a boom for the schools um in producing revenue without having to take in new students without having to educate more people without having to spend more they just get more and so it's i know in mitchell county it's been a real boom for their school system and, and the opportunities it's given to their children so
2: you know, in Georgia, we'll be doing a lot of solar really over the next four years as we approve really a lot of additional utility-scale solar arrays. And, you know, we're talking with cities like Atlanta, Athens, Augusta, others who have a 100% clean energy goal about how can we, how can we compel the power company, structure a, a program – that might help you be able to meet your goal without buying wrecks, actually using real panels, generating, you know, real power, you know, maybe not in your city itself, maybe not on your expensive land, Atlanta or or Athens, maybe maybe in in an adjacent county or a couple of counties over where the land is really cheap. Uh, And so, you know, as I, uh, Andrew, as I think about, you know, Athens Clark is one of these counties that has this 100% uh, clean goal I mean you guys are working hard to make that happen and you're kind of on the point on that
4: yes sir and I'll actually have a list of you uh, a list for you of ideas that, that can happen but um, I think the takeaway behind 100% renewable energy one of the things that really appeals to me is it enables the consumer or the small city or the little the little person right it, it, it levels the playing field. To make people more energy independent, to make our built systems more resilient, to bring tax dollars into communities that have a, a less diverse tax base. So there's a lot to like about it as opposed to exporting our energy dollars.
2: Let me throw something out, uh, especially to you, Scott, as you talk with cities. I know that we're, we're experimenting with uh, the Ray uh, C. Anderson Foundation on their Interstate 85 array that we approved of putting pollinator plants... In between the rows of the solar panels, as they're, as they're lined the up there, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, instead of, say, turf grass or gravel. Uh, I know that President Carter in Plains is doing this on his property as well, and we're getting uh, – there, there's a little bit of buzz around doing this because we we are taking some agricultural land, and we're removing it from agriculture, uh, and, and if we replace – You know, at least part of that with these pollinator plants, I think the theory is that we are giving back to that ag infrastructure. Are you getting any questions about that kind of thing as you travel around Georgia?
5: So there's a lot of interest in what else that can be done on this land. And so yeah, a lot of the the communities that are looking at these large sites, you know, 100,000 acre sites um, are are curious what else can be done, whether it's growing crops or running animals, you know, have a lot of questions about whether goats or sheep or something like that could be grazed under the panels and, um, and, and trying to think through all those dynamic solutions to make even better use of this property so yeah it's a, it's a lot of interest in the topic of research i think but and
3: thanks to Bayer and all these other chemical companies we're killing off our bees so we have massive bee population declines across the world and these bee pollinator farms just created an opportunity for them to thrive and the farmers are clamoring for more bees and yeah. Yeah, go ahead, well, Scott.
5: I'll also add that the pollinators are an opportunity to reduce maintenance costs, too, because that mm-hmm. turf grass has to be mowed. It's just another maintenance thing. So the more you can uh, have the system set to run on its own, it's better for the operators and better for the bottom line. And That's so, yeah, great. it's a great opportunity to, to incorporate that.
2: Yeah, I mentioned before, my brother is a hay farmer, and one of his, one of his jobs in one of his fields is clover, and he was... You know, bemoaning the fact that, you know, that, that that they're short bees and butterflies and it impacts, you know, That's a big uh, deal. It, it impacts his, his, his stand. So I think it is important. I think we're going to hear hear more and more about it. Andrew, are y'all doing any any kind of pollinator stuff in in, in Athens? Clark? We,
4: we are doing a little bit of pollinator stuff, um, but we actually lean on something called a Piedmont Prairie, which uh, uses native plants more than flowering plants. Um, to engage pollinators and give them good habitat
2: great well let's keep this conversation going solar is big in georgia and i want to continue to talk about uh, the impact it is having in uh, the 159 counties uh, in our state i'm tim Eccles, and you're listening to energy matters
7: gas south believes in the difference we can all make
0: This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Velo Solar.
3: Support for Energy Matters is provided by Velo Solar, founded in 2007 by Mark Bell and Chuck Clark. Over the years, Velo has designed, engineered, and built medium-to-large-scale solar projects all over the country. Velo has also designed and integrated a monitoring software platform called Power Info. This one interests me. It's a smart grid software that has the ability to measure everything in your building, that produces or pulls energy solar air water hvac steam if you're an industrial process allows other customers to increase their energy efficiency for more info click velosolar.com
2: yeah cool guys there on the belt line have you been on the belt line lately john not in the last few months no the last time i went on it it was a traffic jam uh there are a lot of people that take advantage of that belt line and and, you know, they're extending it. It's, it's very popular. Yep. Uh, you know, Wendy and I, you know, took our, our daughter
3: down. Met, we need transit met on sis- it. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. What, what kind of transit do you they, want they on they a Light beltway? rail. Give yeah. me some light rail. Give me some slow kind of motion stuff. But I need I need something. Yeah. Can't just be on a little scooter or uh, on about, your bike. How about just walk? How about just get exercise? Then be a part of the traffic jam. Yeah, yeah. We got to move people distances. Yeah, but
2: we need to exercise. We're, you know, we're in a kind of an overweight society, and yeah, all yeah. this is good. Yeah. Well, I, I know. I, I know. I'm sp- on some pounds. I know. I'm speaking for myself here. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, would you hand me one of those pinwheel sandwiches? please? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, that's just easy. All right, in the studio, having a fun time with us today, Andrew Saunders. Uh, our Our regular go-to guy for sustainability, sustainability officer for Athens-Clarke County. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Forestry
4: guy extraordinaire. Yeah, you love trees, don't you? I do. You know, those trees led me to just love systems, like learning how the soil and the water affect the trees. That has grown for me into how does traffic influence air quality, which influences business productivity.
2: Yeah, good thing
4: scott pippen
2: uh washington lee grad a uga grad and a smart smart guy and i'm sure glad that you're at the university and you're working uh on stuff especially with counties all over our state welcome
5: well thank you
2: yeah and shauna jones back with us auburn grad and ma in english from uva a law degree from university of maryland i say all this folks because i want you to know that we bring smart people to the table here who know a lot and uh and they're going to teach us a lot about sustainability. And there's a lot
3: going on in the sustainability field. I mean, I, I thought I was connected in this in this state, and I know you are, and yet we meet people all the time or, nope, in some respects, more than we
2: do. You know, John, this show's on every Saturday, you know, 52 weeks,
3: an hour a week.
2: And I know early on you went, Tim, is there enough, uh, is there enough guests that we can get in I here? did.
3: I, I'll fess up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
2: yeah. and we just continue to find more and more people who are experts in this area let's dive in this segment and continue our talk about local governments because I, I travel the state a lot you guys do do too we have 159 counties in georgia and folks from even from other states are are listening to us but you know a lot of these local governments want to be more you know proactive and getting solar scott uh,
5: as you work with these folks what, what are you telling them um the main message is to be prepared for the the opportunities that are out there you know how how your permitting system set up to deal with these opportunities? How is your zoning um, addressed them, and so that you can you can assure that these developers who come in and are uh, you know looking all over the state for opportunities know that they're going to have a, a good process to go through and and can bring these opportunities to fruition in your community because um, there are a lot of conflicting land uses and and interests. You know some people have concerns about how they'll visually impact residential neighborhoods or how it'll inf- affect their farmland, and so thinking through those issues ahead of time and putting it into your plan in your zoning and, and, and knowing where you want these sites in your community is, is, is crucial.
2: Yeah. Are they asking about paying for this stuff? And, and, and I know at the commission, we've tried to we've tried to create a program that, you know, allows for people and counties to work with a developer, you know, to be able to get a PPA, a uh, power purchase agreement with a power company to sell this energy 20, 25, 30 years. That's a long stream of income. Uh, for folks. So what are the questions that they're asking you about paying for it?
0: Local government folks are the most practical people. They are going to ask about money and so we try to certainly when we do our training bring in folks who have either experience with power purchase agreements certainly bringing in gifa the georgia environmental finance authority which has a series of programs to 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 assist either with financing to pay for some of some of this there's a lot of opportunity out there sometimes it's 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 locally financed i think that's what athens did with their recent solar project there's bonds i mean there's all kinds of ways to raise revenue
2: Andrew. Let's turn to Andrew Saunders here, a sustainability officer for Athens-Clark. How have y'all gotten your money to do all this?
0: So we funded ours
4: out of our water utility, water and sewer utility. They are more or less a small business onto themselves, and they had built up a capital reserve for equipment, and we penciled it out. And if we paid for it up front, it, it paid back a positive return on investment. Yeah, and you know, we've we've talked with Cox Enterprises about their Cox Conserves program
2: before and how they have created sustainability programs that pay for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think these are things that counties are especially interested in, things that are going to not embarrass them as a commissioner or as a council member. I mean, they're concerned about their legacy. They're concerned about being a good steward, mm-hmm. right? Are they asking questions about stewardship?
0: They are. And one of the things in the trainings that we do that they really respond to respond to is discussing stewardship leadership and when we talk about that you know we have to acknowledge you have to think there are problems you did not cause there are things you need to do today, and you need to think about the future. And part of stewardship leadership is accepting some historical problems you did not create, but being willing to deal with them today with an eye toward the future. And they always respond to that very well.
2: Yeah, and let's think about problems that they didn't create, like a hurricane that comes through a southwest Georgia area or a panhandle part of Florida and you know destroys not only a lot of houses, but, uh, but puts millions and millions and millions of tons of yeah, pine trees or pecan trees uh, owned to the to the ground and now all of a sudden wow I can't get these things moved it's deteriorating I can't sell it for its best use and I know that's one of the things that's been driving me to want to work with the the biomass community to come up with a way you know for us to you know chip up this this stuff and be able to use it to make steam like at a maybe in, in Albany at the toilet paper plant uh, factory or up in hawkinsville at a plant that makes you know uh, auto air filters or uh at the starbucks plant uh that makes cups in east dublin there's so many good stories andrew i mean you're the forestry guy sustainability is everything in forestry isn't it yes sir and i'm a big biomass fan myself yeah and, and so being able to take this forest residual the mm-hmm. salvage timber i mean i'm i'm a broken record on this stuff
4: Yeah, I won't get up on my soapbox, but the long and short of it is, is it's a waste product to us. We're taking a product that would otherwise rot in the field, and we're creating an energy and economic benefit out of it, and one that's much more environmentally uh, sensitive than some of our other fuel sources like coal.
2: Yeah, let me turn to our experts uh, from Carl Vinson and ask about waste and how can counties think about waste and urban waste and trash and things that— You know, that are just laying on the ground that, you know, folks are throwing in the yard, tires, all this stuff. Is that topic coming up?
0: Absolutely, that is a bread and butter issue for um, city and county government, and uh, you know one of the things that we are hearing a lot more about is composting, which I think is going to be something we're going to need to develop more programming, programming related to because folks are realizing that food waste is such a such a major part of this, the waste stream, and it could be more productively used. I think so that is much, that yeah. you know that that idea that here is a productive use that folks want to pay. For if we could um, figure out how to how to do it
2: so athens clark andrew has this composting facility out there you know on 78 in route to uh, i guess lexington and in the eastern part of the state how much is that utilized by folks? Are they buying that composted material? Is it going back into soil? What's happening with
4: that? Yeah, we actually can't get enough of it. So it sells, and we have anecdotal stories about people from Atlanta coming with a semi-load and leaving and selling it in Atlanta for a significant markup. Ooh. Um, it, it's Our limiting product, interestingly enough, our, our ability to create compost depends on wood waste. If we could get more wood waste, we could make more compost.
2: Wow, and wood waste, John. I know this is controversial huh. with some of the folks in the Democratic Party. Is they they don't want to burn forest, and I, and I can understand that. Well, I don't folks want to cut like,
3: it down to burn it. Yeah, I think it's one thing if you got stuff on laying on the ground. It's it, it it's highly problematic. to Start cutting it down. It just and burn doesn't it.
4: happen though. Yeah. I, I represent forestry owners in this in this state. I, I,
3: I hope you're right. Not, I really do hope you're right. Not one seen...
4: person is cutting their forest to do it, and if they were. If they were, yeah. that's an economic incentive to put the forest back. Whereas if we take away that incentive, then the economics are. Your for assumption
3: is that a forest is pine and sort of dumb trees and not old, not older and and sort of uh, you know. Live it's not in an, an assumption, Savannah, right? We're right.
2: not we're not cutting, you know, trees down on Liberty or Oglethorpe. Yeah, no, in, <laughs> no in, I understand. Savannah there's,
3: and a lot, right? there's a lot of stuff that's getting cut, and I just want to make sure. That that's not going to a biome.
2: I think we right. need to do a field trip, Andrew. I
3: think we do because that's it's not I, I, an assumption. I think we I
2: need. I think we need to.
3: I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with the field trip.
2: Take John Tesla, and I think we need to go out we, we'll to, to the some, woods, we'll some, roll. Some, some woods. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, to the to the woodshed.
3: Let's the
4: take him to
2: the wood woodshed. <laughs> oh, we take him to the woodshed already. <laughs> that oh, sound good. He spends a lot of time at the woodshed. Okay, let's All right, let's
3: talk uh, some people. Yeah, yeah let's, <laughs> people like, <laughs> let's like wrap Pippa
2: up over this yeah. this segment. Hey, just quickly tell us about this Liberty County green infrastructure stuff down toward Hinesville.
0: Yeah, we have a we do a good deal of work with coastal communities, but also elsewhere. They're very. Interesting. Interested in protecting their assets and figuring out how to protect from storm surge floods extreme rain and one of the way to do that is to have more trees to have more natural areas so that you have natural flood protection so that project involves all of that um, and we're excited about that an idea in resilience is that you don't just want to bounce back from a storm you want to bounce back better Stronger. yeah and that is um you know what we want to help them do
2: this idea of resilience, John. Hold your thought there. Mm. I want us to, to to carry this over to the next segment and talk about resilience, storm resilience, resilience in general. Define it. Everything. So, folks, if you if you'll stick around, meanwhile, grab us on Twitter. I'm at Tim Eccles. You're at New Energy Guy. Yeah, and we'll continue this discussion about working with counties and cities and forestry and sustainability. It's all good stuff. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters.
6: You've heard about Gem Cars on Energy Matters, made by Polaris in Anaheim, California. These street legal small electric vehicles go where golf carts are not allowed. Equipped with seatbelts, headlights, optional doors, and a tag, Gem Cars and Trucks are perfect for shuttles, corporate, or college campus use. In fact, Georgia Tech has over 100 of them. The new generation Gems have many options when selecting the battery type, onboard chargers, and enclosures to suit the climate. Go to gemcarservice.com to find out more. That's g e m carservice.com.
2: Hey, it's Commissioner Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters. I want to tell you about Kevin Rowe and Rowe Insulating Company. If you need insulation anywhere within 60 miles of Athens, Georgia, you need to call 706 795. It's important, isn't it, John? It's, it
3: is the most important thing you can do in your house.
2: It's the low hanging fruit of everything that we talk about on Energy right. Matters every single week. That's
3: exactly right.
2: Yeah, call 706 795 2854. That's 706 795 2854, Rowe Insulating Company. Get comfortable. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Welcome back to Energy Matters. We've got some experts in the studio, as always. John Noel, my co host. John, smart people here. A whole lot. Andrew Saunders. He's, he's less
3: smart, but he's still nice. He is. I'm a, the
2: eye candy of the group. He, <laughs> no, he is a tree. No. Wow. I'm convinced now he is a tree hugger through and through. But right, undergrad and masters in forestry. <laughs> or were you or would you say it's different, oh, John? It pains me. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He, he does know a lot about it. Welcome back, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're going to talk a little more about. Uh, what you've done in terms of uh, green infrastructure. And then from the Carl Vincent Institute, Scott Pippen. Scott, great to have you on board. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And Shauna Jones, uh, Auburn, you know, UVA, <laughs> University of Maryland. Have you felt like, uh, Shauna, that you just maybe need to get some kind of degree here? <laughs> at, at, I at do. UTA? Yeah. I that do. maybe you should just, how about a doctorate
0: i think that would be a great idea yeah. i think i need more education and i need it from here yeah. Oh, Sir. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: how fun all right well we're talking uh, all things infrastructure here helping counties helping cities because that's what scott and shauna do all the time is try to try to take elected officials who have run for an office in a county city and help them develop policies that make sense that are effective that are sustainable that this being a good steward uh, of what's going on because no elected official wants to do something you know that people say oh that was a bad idea you wasted our taxpayer money I mean I think most people that run for office John genuinely want to be of help
3: don't you think yeah that's right we want I, when I first ran in the early 2000s I wanted I was just mad and I wanted change and uh, I, I ran not too long ago. I was mad, and I wanted change again. I, mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. And either they're the candidate or they're the person helping the candidate.
2: Yeah. And if you know anything out there about uh, about anger management, I'd love for you to tweet, John. <laughs> <laughs> tweet, John, because you you seeing a pattern here. Oh and, man, and I, I get fired I, I, up. And I think I, uh, I think I anger. Up. I think anger management, John, anger is something. Management. Yeah. Something maybe you can work yeah. on. Uh, let's go to let's go to Andrew. Uh, Andrew, we we talked about. Uh, Liberty County's green infrastructure. That's Hinesville down on the mm-hmm. coast. Uh, Representative Al Williams and some others down there. Good man. What Al has Athens Clark County done in terms of green infrastructure and what's up next for you guys?
4: So we have a really cool program that dates back to two thousand one when our commission decided to protect twenty percent of our community as natural area. And they're gonna do that through buying land, buying easements, and then some ordinance protections. And uh, we're we're getting pretty close to that twenty percent. And we've seen some great benefits. When you talk about green infrastructure, we have a study from the community that says that when we've protected these properties, we've grown adjacent property values by about 13% within a third of a mile. We have decreased stormwater treatment costs, protection from flooding, and then going full circle to the, uh, the trails. These green infrastructure areas become great places to make trails and parks.
3: And you can't cut the trees.
4: Well, we do cut trees on our green infrastructure, oh. just not the kind that make your eyes water. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. you know, folks, if you listen to our show regularly, you
2: know that uh, uh, John and Andrew are regularly getting into it over over trees. And, <laughs> of course, you know, <laughs> biomass, <laughs> everybody knows how much them. I <laughs> love. Yeah. Uh, John, uh, to make a case in point, I'm going to go to Scott here because he's from Albany, and he went to school down there. He knows a lot about the area, having grown up there. There's a, a toilet paper plant there. That's owned by Procter and Gamble, and they have a a 50 megawatt wood chip plant, which which is a a uh, hundred plus truckload, truckloads, semi truckloads of of wood chips per day coming in there. That's been a good story, hasn't it, Scott?
5: Yeah, especially after the, the hurricane, um, that that there's so much tree debris from all the pecan trees and all the pine trees that that just having that resource to to have some economic value to this debris that, that could help these farmers and um, landowners get back on their feet because that's a real sort of burgeoning area in this conversation about resilience. You know, traditionally it's always been about protecting people's homes and their property. Um, but now people are starting to realize we also need to think about the economy. We need to think about the jobs that they have. And, and agriculture is a big part of that. And in addition to putting people out and in, in threatening public safety and threatening people's homes, like there are billions and billions of dollars of impact from storms like Hurricane Michael. And You saw a lot of it also in South Carolina, North Carolina with their hurricanes last year. Um, and so it's a huge issue. And, 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 and opportunities to have a biomass plant like that that can help people get back on their feet is, is just tremendous.
2: It is more expensive john to have a biomass plant is uh, i'm told about eight and a half cent a kilowatt in order to make a standalone biomass plant profitable how that compares to other forms yeah apparently. so think about utility scale solar being around three cent so three cent. so yeah. we're talking more than double what it costs to put a solar array in a rural county a large solar array uh, but know, the wood chip thing runs at night. It will run at night and and all the time as long as you're bringing truckloads of wood chips to it. That's base load. so, so it's, it's it's another version. And, and by the way, yeah. you know it doesn't have you know any mercury involved. There's no mercury you know baghouse involved. In there's coal firepower yeah, so, yeah, so there there's no uh, there's no uh, socks uh, scrubber uh, as as well. Uh, so it's it is cleaner. I mean, there's still CO2. The fact of the matter is, you do have this debris. It is sitting there. Andrew, what happens to forest debris that lays there forever? What does it become?
4: It doesn't lay there forever. It rots, it becomes CO2, and then some of the nutrients cycle back to the soil, which is another reason why I'll I'll beat the drum for biomass, is the CO2 is going into the atmosphere anyhow. The question is, are we going to make use of that energy or not?
0: And I under I understand too that you you know if you have a lot of debris laying around you, there's concern about infestation yeah, from absolutely. beetles. Mm-hmm. I mean there's a lo- and fire we don't want to be California. I mean the one issue I think they have is yeah, they, don't have this, have they don't have this they don't have the same debris management that we do in Georgia. And part of that is to you know another reason to do it.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, we're getting into Trump's raking. Thing. Yeah, so forest
2: <laughs> management. <laughs> Uh, And I really do, John, hate to have the entire studio audience pile on you here with this. But if you think about what's happened in California, the PG&E bankruptcy, potential uh, renewable energy contracts that will, you know, essentially be voided, you know, and uh, not to mention everybody's rates going up. I mean, as much as California likes to think that they know, you know, the best in everything— The truth is, they could stand to take a field trip to Georgia, right, Andrew, to learn a thing or
4: two. I'll take anybody out there that wants to see it.
2: Yeah. So, well, let's talk about resilience a a bit more. Let's go back to Scott. Uh, Resilience is something I'm hearing more and more from city and county leaders that I, that I talked to. And it, it it probably is a result of their own constituents and what their
5: constituents are saying to them, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And uh, with all of the, the major weather events that we've had across the Southeast, I think people it's very forefront in people's minds about how do we be more prepared for these things and how do we uh, incorporate it into our basic functions and the design of our communities. John, is it resilience that leads you to put, the,
2: to put those Tesla batteries in your home and the solar so that you could... Island yourself off off the grid and have power when no one else does?
3: Unsurprisingly, it was that, but also sticking it to the man. Um, I was sick and tired of, uh, you know, not having uh, the, uh, the solar company buying power at one and a half cents a kilowatt hour. I wanted to harvest that power myself talk about harvesting, and then allow it to uh, be used when there was higher electric rates. So I capture it during the day, I stick it in a battery, and then at night I use it uh, as much as I'd like, or if the power is cheaper, and it often is, then I will use that. So it it gives me the ability, yes, I have resiliency, Yes, I have the options, and yes, I'm the boss of my own destiny in terms of my power consumption.
2: You know, let me ask my Carl Vinson experts, are you getting questions about batteries now, uh, about utility-scale batteries, coupling batteries with solar, or is that just not on the radar of these counties yet?
5: I think from a, a consumer standpoint, they, they are thinking about it. They want that kind of resilience and be able to operate their facilities when the grid is down. So they're they're curious about it, but I I don't think there's a lot of demand for that given the price points and things right now um but i think there's a lot of interest in it if it was more economically feasible i'm going to make
2: a prediction that right. within within three years uh, you're going to be doing seminars on mm-hmm. it uh yeah. because it, i think you're right it, it, yeah. it is it is a coming thing georgia power has had for the last couple of years a, a little one megawatt uh experimental tesla battery secret you know location place that they've been doing but they're gonna they're gonna um, multiply that by 50 and have, you know, they're going to have a, a 50 megawatt, at least a 50 megawatt battery storage facility. And, and I predict, you know, within 10 years, we, we'll probably have a 1,000 megawatts of, of of batteries in this state. I mean, it's it's, it's going to be the next
5: big thing. Well, that's really great no news. Question. I know there's tremendous demand for it. Um, in the public sector,
2: yeah, and it, it enabled you to take the solar that would go home at five thirty uh, in the afternoon and keep it up till seven thirty,
3: eight o'clock, I really past our peak. Been saying this a long time. Where uh, the next power plants are large solar farms paired with large battery packs, and it makes new new production. Uh, we don't need we don't need new production.
2: Yeah, Oops. so necessity is you know the the mother of invention, and as we're closing these coal plants. We are going to have a need for baseload energy. Mm-hmm. That's and right. This, the solar with batteries get us closer to that on the renewable side. We still need our nuclear power plants. We still need our biomass plants. We we'll still need our, our natural gas plants certainly as a bridge uh, to the future. But we are going to see more and more large-scale solar batteries. And I think folks, as, as folks put them in their home like John has, They'll then say to their elected officials, "Hey, why don't y'all do this on a on a larger scale?" Well, as we wrap up our conversation, Shauna, any trends you see in the future uh, as you as you think about, or Scott, uh, things that maybe need to be on our radar screen as you think about public policy and how you're advising counties and cities.
0: I actually think you hit on it. I mean, one of the things about resilience is a diversity of options. And so I think local governments are quite interested in having, you know, just like having a good investment portfolio having different energy sources to draw from makes them more resilient and they also I've heard some folks who want to sell it as why you should bring your business here Mm -hmm. we are a place that's going to be more innovative we are a place that's going to um, you know respond more quickly and bounce back and that's going to be an economic um, development and
4: we actually get businesses that ask for it when they are looking at siding
2: I love it there you go Mm -hmm. economic development you're uh, singing my song here Well, I'm Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters with a room full of experts, and we hope that you'll try some of these things on a micro scale. Always hit me up on Twitter at Tim Eccles And, John? New energy guy. So thanks for listening. Have a great day.
7: Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at gassouth.com. GasSouth, The difference is good.
1: Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking ProjectShareInfo.com. And thank you.